Then I want you to take your Bible, and we're going to turn to an Old Testament and a New Testament passage. Old Testament, Isaiah 9 and 2, and John 1, 5. Isaiah 9, 2, and John 1, 5. Now, you can just put your fingers there because we're not going, going there at this moment. But just hang on to it because we will get there. It reminds me of the old preacher that said, Open your Bible to Matthew just in case we get to the text. But we're going to get there in a second. Let me have your attention after you found one or both of those messages, none of those passages. For years, a man named Archie Camel kept us smiling and belly laughing. Now, I see you smiling, so you remember him. Archie Camel was on, uh, shared the stage at the Grand Ole Opry. He was also on Hee Haw, and the people he shared the stage with were the likes of Grady Nutt, uh, Grandpa Jones, Buck Owens, and Roy Clark. And he always kept us in stitches by saying what we didn't expect him to say. Y'all remember that? I remember the first time I heard Archie Camel. I was in uh, elementary school. We'd gone to my grandmother's house. They'd gotten a new uh, recorder, and uh, I know you guys don't remember what this is like, but we had those big 33 and a third vinyl records. How many of those people remember that? Yes, that's right, and it tells us our age, doesn't it? <clears throat> but there was a, he did a routine on there called That's Good, That's Bad. <clears throat> and the context of that was uh, he normally, Grandpa Jones was his straight man, and uh, Archie, and that's good, that's bad. Every time Archie would say something, Grandpa would say, that's good, and Archie would go, that's bad. And, he'd, and then it, when Grandpa would say, that's bad, Archie would say, that's good. Let me give you for instance. He came out on stage. He said, hey, Grandpa, hey, Grandpa how you doing? He said, fine. Archie said, how you doing? He said, I'm not doing too good. So now you have Grandpa and Archie, and I'm going to try to convey this conversation. I'm not doing too good. My uncle died last week. And he said, oh, that's bad. And he said, no, that's good. He said, why is that good, Archie? And he goes, I was his favorite nephew, and he left me $50,000. He said, well, that's good. And he said, no, that's bad, because when the Internal Revenue Service got through with me, I only had 25000 left. He goes, well, that's bad. No, that's good. I still had enough money to do what I'd wanted to do my whole life. I bought me a plane, and I learned to fly. And he said, well, that's good. And he said, well, no, that's bad, because I was flying the other day, and I was flying upside down, and I fell out of the plane. He said, well, that's bad. He goes, well, no, that's good. He said, how is that good, Archie? He said, because the closer I got to the ground, I saw that there was a haystack right under me. And he said, well, now that's good. And he goes, well, no, that's bad. Well, why is that bad? He said, because in the center of the haystack, there was a pitchfork aimed right at me. And he goes, well, that's bad. He goes, no, that's good. I missed the pitchfork. He said, well, that's good. He said, no, that's bad. I missed the haystack too. <laughs> so they went on and on. And uh, it just I, I remember as a kid just belly laughing. Two weeks ago when we were at the convention, amidst me hearing the reports and the sermons and the preachings and the discussions and, and all that was going on, you know what occurred to me? I understand you're going to go, well, I knew that. Well, that's fine, so let me just restate it. What occurred to me is that you and I have the privilege of living in the greatest country ever known to mankind. 
This is a great nation. We live, in a, we live in a nation where almost anything's a possibility. In fact, the mantra of the day is if you can see it, you can be it. But it didn't come cheap and it didn't come easy. We've pledged our flags and given some thought to our country today. And 239 years ago, we declared our independence. 239 years ago next Saturday, to be uh, clear. But our independence and our freedom are not free. Because freedom never is free. Somewhere, at some time, someone has to pay the price of our freedom. Over the last ten years, you've heard me say that many times. You also, if you remember, you've heard me tell you that the price of freedom is innocent blood. Men and women have paid the price so that you can sit here today and worship the God like you want. They have died so that you can go to lunch where you want. They have died that you can live where you want, that you can own what you can afford, that you can go after your dream. As I was in the convention, I was reminded of this great nation, but I was also reminded of a deeper spiritual truth. I was reminded when I saw the missionaries, when I saw the heart, when I saw the resources that we're putting there, two things, that we live in a land, in a world surrounded by bad news. We live in a world that's surrounded by bad news, and quite honestly, we tend to forget that. It's easily to be forgotten that we live in a world with bad news. I understand Friday I'll make a few comments about that in a second. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about generically. We live in a land that that is uh, um, given to some bad news, and we also live in a world that has some great news, some good news. Our two passages of Scripture today highlight these. This is, where my, this is where my mind went as I began to meditate and study on this. <clears throat> Isaiah 9, 2 is also quoted in Matthew 4, and it reads like this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who, dwell, those who dwelt in a land of the darkness... On them has light shone. Then in the New Testament, as John opens his letter, he says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, I pray that today as we spend a few minutes looking at the pictures you gave us about this world, I pray that it will not be some abstract thing we're talking about happening someplace else, but I pray that it will be a reality for us even today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you read those two passages of Scripture, what I'm going to tell you is that the universal symbol from the Bible for good news is dark. For good news is light, and bad news is darkness. I'm going to put it on the screen like this. 
You start with the bad news, and I'll tell you why in a second, and then down in the lower right you see the good news, and bad news is represented by the darkness, and the good news is represented by the light. These are biblical concepts. Sometimes we want to forget how dark it is because how good we have it. And when we forget the darkness, when we forget the darkness, we become at peril. Do you know why? Because... The darkness is in spiritual warfare with the system of light. And if, you're, if you have forgotten about the darkness, you are in a battlefield and you're not ready, you're not awake, and you're not prepared. And there is one thing you don't want to be. You don't want to be in a war and not know you're in a war. You'll get taken down. So for the next few minutes, I want us to talk about these two concepts, darkness and light. I'm going to argue for darkness. I'm going to argue for light. And I hope that you would stay with me. Let's begin with the darkness. Mm, The darkness. As I heard the reports at the convention about the need around the world, about the losses around the world, and ready for this, about the losses in the United States of America, people that don't know the Lord in the United States of America, I became convicted about the darkness around us, so I began to think about darkness. Did you know, I'm sure you did, did you know how long darkness has been with us? In fact, do you know how far in the Bible you have to get before you hear God mention the word darkness? Try Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and Darkness was over the face of the deep. I'm going to pause there to say that verse 3 says, And God created light. So God created the heaven and the earth. God created light. But he didn't have to create darkness because it's here. Now, don't forget this last sentence. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Some translations say the face of the deep. You see, God didn't have to create darkness because darkness, by definition... You go to dictionary.com to check it out. Second definition says, absence of light. You see, when we're in darkness, we wander and we stumble and we lose our way. We lose our bearing. We don't have a compass anymore. Because without light, without light, darkness overwhelms us. Darkness is pervasive. Tuesday night, we had a fun time at Deacon's meeting. I used a word. I don't, don't matter what it is. I'm sure the men are going to tell me what the word is later. And old Teddy sat back in his chair and with a smirk on his face. He said, I'm going to play Alan McGee tonight. Would you tell me what that means? So in memory of Alan today, for anybody that don't know what the word pervasive means, here's what it means. It means it's universal. It means it's inescapable. It means that it's persistent. It means that it is all-encompassing. It even means it's ever-present, omnipresent. Darkness is pervasive. It was there at the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth. It exists today, not only physically, but spiritually. Let me just talk to you about four levels of darkness or four locations of darkness that we see. First of all, we see it internationally. The world stage is darker than it's been in years. In fact, I would submit to you 
that the world stage is experiencing darkness at a level not experienced since perhaps the dark ages. Darkness pervades the land. If you watch in your TVs at all, you are A, you are hearing, B, you possibly have seen Islamists behead people for no other reason than they refuse to deny Jehovah God. We saw 21 of them killed on a beach. But that's not the only darkness we see. Amy Lee went down to, to Haiti. When Deborah and I were, were in the, in the uh, Bahamas back in 95 and 97, I got to preach for the Haitians' refugees. And I'm going to tell you, when we drove through that, that Haitian camp, Amy and I kind of connected hearts on this because you could sense the occult. You could sense the darkness. You could sense the hopelessness. You could sense the helplessness. For you see, all over this world, people have created their own religion, and a man-made religion presents darkness. It presents hopelessness. It presents helplessness. You see, the mystics of the world and And the godlessness of man prevails in the darkness. That's the bad news. That's bad news for this world. But it's not the end of the story. Hang on. Not only international, let's move to domestically. Oh, let me stop here to say, you see this girl right here? This is a young lady that Deborah and I had an opportunity to meet at at the convention. Her name's Rebecca Berry. How many of you have heard of her? Yes, She's wrote Hiding in the Light. She's written Hiding in the Light. She was raised in Islam. She was raped repeatedly. She finally escaped. And to tell you, and to tell you just how her life is today, when David Youth brought her on, Youth brought her on stage, he told everybody there, and I remember we have, probably have 3,000 people there, and he said, Guys, what I'm about to do is a great risk. He said, what I'm about to do, you do not need to put on social media to at least after 2 o'clock today for security reasons. Rifko is a 22-year-old girl now. She's lived through the hell of Islam. And, and I want to be fair, I don't overstate this. She's lost her right eye, and she lost that when she was living at home. But it was not a... It was not anything to do with Islam and her mistreatment. It was a freak accident with her brother. But she's a lovely lady. We watched her on stage. She has a gorgeous smile. This picture I actually took as she was signing our books for us. And Deborah, without thinking, said, because uh, she's in school, said, where are you going to school? She goes, I really wish I could tell you, but for security reasons, I cannot. She lives today under the, under the horror that she may be found by the Islamist folks, there is darkness in this world. But now let's move from internationally. Let's go on, Brandon, and move to domestically. Now, when I say domestically, I'm talking about the United States of America. I just want to be clear to everybody that I had finished this message, my studies and everything, before June 26, 2015. And the court decision that came down Friday couple of things that I will say to you. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still on the throne. 
besides disagree, and I'll, I'll write a blog for those who read blogs, and I don't have time enough to articulate everything here, besides the obvious disagreement that I have with our Supreme Court, this is landmark decision because it changes the nature of our courts. Chief, if you've read the decision, you know that the five who uh, uh, voted to change the millennial definition of marriage, three of them went into that case, as a judge is not supposed to do, with a bias. This was such a hotly contested case. If you've read anything, the five wrote the majority opinion. All four of the dissenting justices wrote independent dissenting opinions. The one that strikes me, the last paragraph of John Roberts, Chief Justice John Roberts, he said this. He said, if, if you're celebrating that you have new freedom with this ruling, you celebrate the freedom, but don't you celebrate the Constitution because this had nothing to do with the Constitution. We have a different day in, in our country because of this. We, tonight, I don't know how much of it I'll get to share with you tonight, but one of the reasons I went to Columbus, Ohio, because we anticipated this ruling was going to come down, and there was a panel on Wednesday there that, about this very issue and how we should respond. And we have to respond with love and grace and offering Jesus to people who so desperately need Jesus. We're going to have to pick up the pieces because down the road, many people who are celebrating and thinking things are getting their way now, they're going to wind up with broken hearts. And they're going to need someone with some, some stability and some spiritual groundedness to, to pick up the pieces for them. And that's, that's going to be offering the grace of Jesus at that time. But make no mis- mistake, the darkness in this country didn't start on Friday. i take you back almost 20 years ago to January 23, 1996. Kansas, House of Representatives... They made the mistake of asking Pastor Joe Wright, put his picture up there, Brandon, if you will, Pastor Joe Wright, maybe it won't come, to pray. We'll get there in a second. And as he stood that morning to pray, he prayed truth, He prayed from his heart. Now, you've heard me read this, but I want to tell you what I stumbled on. I stumbled on the recording of the actual two-minute prayer he prayed. And I thought it would serve us well to hear it from the horse's mouth, to bow together and hear him pray before the Kansas House of Representatives. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. Lord, we know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we've done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it moral pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. 
We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them your wisdom to rule, and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Even as I hear those words today, my heart's pricked for the truth that's found therein. When he got through praying, one representative had already walked out on him. Representatives were standing at the microphone protesting the prayer. Over the next week, his staff stopped counting the phone calls at 6,500. Joe said that he was not really trying to make anybody angry. He was just trying to appeal to God to call us back to himself. And yet for me, as I hear even 20 years ago, as I hear the response to such a heartfelt and needed prayer, I am reminded of just how the darkness pervades even our land. It reminds me of that part of the verse that we read earlier that says, those who dwell in the land of deep darkness. Dear folks, most of us in this room have good lives. Most of us in this room think the preacher is just kind of out of touch today because things are going so good. But when you're, when you're walking and you're being blessed, it's hard to see the darkness going around you. It's hard to see how it's growing. Why is that? I don't know all the reasons, but I remember what my ninth grade uh, science teacher showed me. He brought us in one day and put a... Um, he had two kettles of water. One of them had water that was almost boiling. And he said, watch this, guys. And he dropped a frog in it. The frog jumped out. The other one was the room temperature, and it was on an, under... I think we had a Bunsen burner under it. And he said, watch this. And he put the frog in there. And he turned that burner up, and that frog was so happy, as we used to say in Mississippi, happier than pig and slop. He was just having a good time. And he turned that water up, and that frog laid right there till he boiled to death because he was unaware of what was going on around him. He was unaware of how his environment was changing. Please listen. Those who can remember the last 50 years, our environment has changed. We have indeed inverted our values. Now, I want to be, I want to be fair to everybody. We didn't have it all right 50 years ago because we'd had it all right 50 years ago before the Lord. We wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. But there were a lot of things that were a lot more uh, righteous back then. You see, the, uh, the truth is, is that a lot of things 
were different 50 years ago. We could, we could leave our houses unlocked. Never thought about locking our houses. Certainly not our cars. 50 years ago, we didn't think anything about our children walking down to the park and playing. We didn't think anything about our children walking to school alone. Oh, babies, unborn babies were still safe in their mother's womb 50 years ago. 50 years ago, the Ten Commandments were still considered the rule, good rules to live by and, and respected. And in many areas of the country, 50 years ago, a man's word was his bond. Folks, the darkness is pervading us and it's overtaking us. That's domestically and it ties directly into the third thing I'll speak to you is about locally. Locally. I'm talking about the small towns and even churches. I will tell you that small towns and churches were the last bastions of righteousness and good in this country. When those were the were the bastions of righteous and good. Here was the thing: is that the local church, whether it be a Baptist church, a Methodist church, Presbyterian church, Pentecostal church, the local family of God is what everybody centered their life around. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know what's going on with the church, and they centered their life around it. Today, that center has moved from the church to what I want to call the ball field. Now, before anybody charges me and strangles me, I'm not talking about the ball field over here. The ball field is symbolic because it can be anything. It can be a ball field, but it can be a tennis court. It can be a golf course. It can be the beach. It can be a bowling alley. It can be the mountains. The truth is we have moved our center of affection and center of attention to something else other than the church. And that ball field in your life is whatever it is that's replaced God in your life. Hmm. And the truth is that community after community has done this, which bleeds locally into the last thing I'll speak to as I'm talking about the darkness, and that is personally. Personally, the darkness is prevailing. And this comes in a couple of this comes in a couple of ways. Some people have never stepped out of the darkness into the light of Jesus personally in their lives. Oh, they've been in church, oh they've been in Sunday school, oh they've done a lot of things, but they never stepped there. And they don't know really what it is. But there are many more. Are you listening? There are many more who used to be committed to the Lord. They used to be committed to the church. Used to be found faithful. Used to be part of that group that no matter what happened, you could count on them for the Lord and His work. You see, folks, when we replace God in our lives, we only get what our new gods can give. Now, let me just be clear so nobody leaves here mad. I am not against the ball fields of life, whatever they are. Man, they are great, and they're great fun, and they have their place. They make a great hobby, but they make a horrible God. I spent a lot of time arguing about the darkness. But here's our hope. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's the hope of the world. You know, darkness is no fun to be in. Have you ever been... 
Have you ever got up in the middle of the night, or maybe worse than that, three or four o'clock in the morning, and you're sick? Maybe you're throwing up. Maybe you got a bad headache. Maybe your chest is hurting. Something's wrong, and and it feels like the daylight will never come. And and I know that when that happens to me, I think, man, I can't wait for the sun to shine again. Hope comes. You see, the bad news is that darkness. It's pervasive. The good news is the light has come. Do y'all remember this? Go, Brandon. Y'all remember this? Watch what happens when the light comes. The bad news and the darkness goes away. Wow. You know why that is? Because every time the light comes, it overpowers the darkness. And that's the good news. So for a few minutes as remain, I want us to take a look at the light. At the light. The light is the game changer. The light is the one that alters the landscape. The light is the one that can bring hope to this world because it brings hope to you and me, because it brings hope to our community, because it brings hope to our country, because it can ultimately bring hope to our world. So I want to just offer you four quick attributes of light, and then I'll close. The first thing I want to tell you about light is that it creates warmth. Did you know that? Sure you did. Whether it is a light bulb, whether it is a fire, or whether it's the sun, light creates warmth. We speak of a cold heart. We're talking about a heart that has either stumbled or decided to go into the darkness. And you know what happens when you get cold? You get listless. You get to where you can't feel things. You get to where uh, atrophy sets in because your heart is cold. Light creates warmth about you. It takes that cold personality and it brings it warm. It takes that cold heart and and it lights it up. And because light creates warmth, it also brings, number two, hope. Light brings hope. I already said about when you're sick at night and you're praying for daylight to get here because it'll be better when the light comes. That's the way it is. Man, light has a way of impacting your life. You might even say that light attracts. Have you ever been walking through the woods at night and gotten lost? And all of a sudden in the distance, you see a light over there. Where do you go? You go to the light. May I just say this to you? This world is walking in darkness. I'm afraid that if they could actually see the light of Jesus in our lives, they might be attracted. Because light brings hope. Wherever you're headed, I'm going to tell you this, light illumines your way. Number three, light shows your path. It illumines the way so you don't have to guess which way to go. In the darkness, we wander. We lose our way. We lose our sense of direction. But when the light comes into our lives, we know right where we're headed. Oh, yes, there'll be struggles. There'll be stumbles. But we know right where we go because when the light shines on your heart, you can see the way and chart your course Because, lastly, what you've already heard, I've already said, light dispels the darkness.
I've spoken of light today a lot in the physical, but I hope you've seen the parallel to the spiritual. Darkness like Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Darkness is pervasive. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Until the light comes, darkness prevails. But when the light comes, darkness is dispelled. Folks, the only way for our country, the only way for our community, the only way for our culture, the only way for our world to leave the darkness and to come to the light is for the light to come on. That's my appeal today in your heart, in the heart of this church, to come on and let people see the light of the world. Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But when I go home, you're the light of the world. So I ask you today, is your light shining? Candidly, you're a light for something. Your light is a light for something. Is it a light for good? Is it a light for God? Or is it a light that points the way to ultimate darkness? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let me just divide that as we end. Just a couple of thoughts. First, first. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, then you're not the light. You're not in the light. You don't have the light. You're walking in darkness. You see, Jesus came for you. He lived. He died. He ascended. He obviously came back from the dead. And he did all of it for you. He did it for you because He wants to be your light. The people who walked in darkness are people who walk apart from Jesus and walk away from Jesus and walk in sin. The Bible tells us this. All is sin and falling short of God's glory. The Bible tells us the wages, the payment, the compensation for sin is death. God sent Jesus to die in our place so we don't have to experience that death. If you've never trusted Christ, right now is the time. If you put your trust in Him, He will come into your life and He will forgive your sins. He will change your life. He will change your direction. And He will shed His light around you that you can become the light of the world. The truth is, you see that picture there? Jesus is the light at the end of your darkness. But there's a second group here. There's that group that has trusted Christ. May I just offer this to you? You are to be the light of this world, and you are to be the light in this world. People need to see the light of Jesus, and you are the carrier. Just a moment ago, we were watching a video, and then we listened to an audio, and both times Steve dimmed the lights. Hmm. What a symbol for a message like this today. If you trusted Christ and he lives in your heart, you have the light in you. The question is, are you going to turn the light on? 
or are going to turn it off. Years ago, I read this story. You've heard it told many times. A little boy was with his mother, and they went to see a famous cathedral. And, and, uh, and, and on the windows of the cathedral, like we have our stained windows, there were, there were images of the saints who had gone on before in that church. And the little boy said, Mom, who are those people in the window? She said, they're saints. He says, well, I know what saints are then. He said, she said, what? He he said, saints are people that let the light shine through them. Are you a light of the world today? If not, why not? Do you need to trust Christ? Or do you just need to let Christ refill you and re-infuse you? And turn your light on. That's what the world needs today. Let's pray together.